Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, September 20th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Dr. Kedar Hardikar, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Renunciation of Powers, and my poem, Boundless. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of September 21st. On Monday, September 21st from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting the last of its 20 episode, the Nuijinan Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate, but only Canadian Indigenous youth between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Books Are Magics will be hosting their Khadija Queen, Anodyne, and Hafiza Getter on American Poetry Reading and Discussion. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 329 Four two six zero seven five zero seven four three eight one. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash three two nine four two six zero seven five zero seven four three eight one. From eight p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, September 22nd, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its weekly first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. This is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register by going to urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Bookstar Magic will be hosting the Candace Elo Everybody Looking with Jason Reynolds book launch reading. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 581 Six eight two four six two five hundred five ten. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash five eight two six eight two four six two five hundred five ten. 
From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting the Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina. You can find out more information and register at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. Again, that's at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. On Wednesday, September 23rd, from 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their online open mic. You can find out more information at sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's at sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan Got Talent, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old. You can RSVP to participate at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's N-W-E. J-I-N-A-N-T-V. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting their release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's at a poet named Superman. On Thursday, September 24th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cover will be hosting their virtual poetry night you can find out more information by going to thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, September 25th, from 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific Time, Bridge Projects will be hosting their virtual poetry reading. You can find out more information and register at bridgeprojects.com forward slash programs. Again, that's bridgeprojects.com forward slash programs. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Cave Canem will be hosting their Douglas Kearney, I Killed, I Died, Banter, Self-Destruction, and the Poetry Reading. You can find out more information and register at cavecanempoets.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's cavecanempoets.org forward slash calendar. Cave Canem is C-A-V-E-C-A. N-E-M. From 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry. From Saturday, September 26th to Sunday, September 27th, Elm City Lit Fest will be taking place. And you can find out more information and register for a number of different poetry readings and events at Elm City Lit Fest. 
elmcitylitfest.weebly.com. Again, that's elmcitylitfest.weebly.com. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. And again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Dr. Kedar Hadakar. Hi, Kedar. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Mojang. Thank you for having me. First, you brought with you your poem, Renunciation of Powers. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an engineering professional. Uh, currently, I work for Google. Mm -hmm. And I have been in industry as well as academia. I'm also an faculty member at San Jose State University mm -hmm. and I do poetry as one of my hobbies mm -hmm. uh, in addition to engaging in uh, science and mathematics. Great. I was born in Bombay and I've been in the United States for over two decades now. Mm -hmm. So I do uh, connect to two cultures, United States as well as back home in India. Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at uh, writing poetry? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because um, I have been writing poetry for a while uh, since I was in high school, mm. but mostly I've been keeping it to myself mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of hobby. Uh, initially, I did it out of my academic interest in high school, um, and then it stayed with me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I took writing and seriously considered publication only recently, um, 2012. Till then, mostly I've been writing it for myself. Okay. I cannot say that I've been in touch with literature all the way, but something that I do for myself. Right, right. You said that you started writing poetry as a, sort of part of your academic studies. Do you remember the first poem you wrote and what it was about? Yeah, actually, I don't remember the poem itself, but I remember when I wrote it. Mm. Um, it was when I was in high school, I was trying to imitate some poem that was part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it was about sunrise. It was a very simple two stanza kind of poem. I don't have the poem, of course, but mm. that's when I initially tried, uh, mm -hmm. thinking I could do something similar to what I'm reading in the textbook. Right. Um, that's how it started. Okay. And I used to enjoy writing essays, so I could enjoy trying such things when I was going through the high school. Mm. Do you recall what made you decide to attempt to publish uh, in 2012? One of the things that happened is I started revisiting some of the poems that I had written in my diary, just contemplating on things that I seem to be going through again. Mm. And then I realized that there were some stanzas in there and I didn't really maintain a good record of what I write. Mm -hmm. So it was very scattered. Mm. And then I found that I connected back to being able to write intensely. Mm -hmm. And the thought occurred to me that 
this compilation seems to be growing. There are a couple of years, or I should say at least definitely one and a half year period when I was writing intensely. I would get up in the middle of the night, write mm -hmm. down some seed of a poem, and then it would finish by the end of the day. Okay. And there were some stresses that I was going through. And this combination was a bit strange. On one hand, I had these desires about my career and things happening in my life. Mm. And at the same time, I was able to revisit some of these feelings and was writing more intensely than otherwise. Mm. And as the writing grew, I had the thought that it may be worth publishing just so that it has a destination. Sort of. Right. Have you published? Is that something that you're still working on? So I have published a book in Marathi. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't published a lot. And also I published it with a very limited distribution. When I published it, I targeted certain subgroup where I would distribute that book, so on and so forth, mostly in Marathi. Mm -hmm. And one of the things there was the experiment in poetry that I felt was always with me. I wanted to get it out and I published it as a section in that book. And that seemed to get some attention that was very encouraging. So that was another reason why I decided, okay, I'm going to publish the book. Mm, okay. Do you predominantly write in Marathi or have you pretty much always written in Marathi and English? I predominantly write in Marathi. Even whatever I write for my personal contemplation is actually in Marathi. It's just how it is because of, I guess, the way I grew up, my first language was Marathi when I was in high school in my education. And somehow my emotional expressions tend to be in Marathi. Mm -hmm. so I find it more natural that whatever I write in terms of poetry is mostly in Marathi, not so much in English. Okay. I thought it was really interesting because I, I've never heard of Marathi before. And when I looked it up, it's actually listed as ranks 10th, or this is according to Wikipedia now. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. But it's ranked 10th in the, in the list of most spoken languages in the world. What well, it is an official language in India, right? Or is it only certain states? Yes. The region is called Maharashtra. The language spoken there is Marathi. Mm -hmm. And it is a, a, quite an old language and a very established language with a lot of rich literature. Mm. There's a lot of Marathi-spoken people around the globe now. Okay. So it's a, it's a very rich language with its own history and uh, literature. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you. Since your poem is written both in Marathi and English, it would be great for you to give us a little bit of a demonstration of that uh, by reading your poem. Sure. Here is a Marathi version of the poem, Ghatankanchi Raza. 1 over 1 minus x is equal to 1 plus x plus x square plus x cube up to infinity with mod x less than 1. Forever chi infinite series ani maja ayushya chi berries. Dugansa nata far juna hai. The X circles, Majalana Snella, Anantacha Berzet Matuahe Ekantat to Purna Kadi Zaglanahi Janmajan Mancha Sakritun to Kadi Sutlanahi Maja Autarancha Sakrit Anantachi Pozahe Sagran Made Ausha Ek Puntella Chedanara to Mitahe Ekatun me Vaza Ekatun me Vaza 
म्हणून अवतारांची ही सजा अनंताच्या प्रवाहात जगलो तर होईल माझ्या घातंकांची रजा थँक्यू अँड हिअर इज द इंग्लिश अडॅप्टेशन द टायटल ऑफ द पोएम इन इंग्लिश इज प्रिनन्सिएशन ऑफ पॉवर्स वन ओव्हर वन मायनस एक्स इज इक्वल टू वन प्लस एक्स प्लस एक्स स्क्वेअर अप टू इन्फिनिटी विथ मॉड एक्स लेस दॅन वन जॉमेट्रिक प्रोग्रेशन वेन टेकन टू इन्फिनिटी शोज मी अ वे टू मार्च टू इटर्निटी I can relate to excess as my incarnations perceived are those powers they are the mind's own creations smaller than the divine and different from the one smaller than the divine and different from the one if that is who i am i won't feel enlightened renounce all your powers renounce all your powers and listen to the sages you will see the divine when you break free from cages thank you thank you so can you tell us a little bit about these poems i think if i remember correctly that these are poems that are a little bit different from what you used to write what you're saying is true in terms of exposing these poems but i have been writing in some some of these forms for a while actually mm. i call this an experiment in poetry uh, these are mathematical poems mm. i wrote some prose along similar philosophy when i was in high school mm-hmm. uh, but i didn't take it seriously i wrote it as an experiment for fun mm-hmm. the, the idea has stayed with me for all these years and i wrote some stuff for myself and just it kept lying around i didn't keep a good record of those things initially actually i kind of dispensed it off thinking of this as some funny experiment mm. but later i realized that it is worth taking it more seriously in terms of it being a form by itself and as i was going through my academic career mm-hmm. the concept still stayed with me it is only recently that i tried to do this in english mm. as i said the time i tried to get this out on paper in front of others was in 2012 in marathi mm. and i attempted both marathi and in english mm-hmm. uh, to write mathematical poems and now it it is on its own something that i'm writing and compiling for publication and exposure okay when you said that you used to in high school you were writing some proofs i i wasn't sure if you meant you were writing proofs both in the mathematical languages as well as in a literary language as well the mix of the two as you have now i still remember i was in 11th grade when i was learning some mathematical concepts that excited me mm-hmm. and at the same time i was able to recognize quite consciously by then that there were some emotional reactions in learning these concepts mm-hmm. and then one night i tried to write so i used to like writing essays just for fun mm. and i attempted i should say writing a letter it was kind of a love letter mm-hmm. that was based on a mathematical result mm-hmm. the the challenge that i put myself through that night was can i write a love letter that invokes those kind of emotions mm-hmm. uh, using mathematical objects mm. and i thought it was kind of teenage stupidity actually <laughs> uh, but i did now the best stayed up that night and wrote it down and the next few days i tried to read and see if it still makes sense mm. and 
to me it did actually makes mm. sense that the emotions were still being appealed to in the right way mm-hmm. and then i discarded it saying okay i mean this is something that some stupid deviation that i'm taking for entertainment kind of thing <laughs> but then i i kept those kind of reactions uh, under observation as i was learning more mathematics or scientific facts and i started noticing that yes you do have all these emotional reactions that you have which are different and there are these connections which are worth looking at but i didn't discuss that much it was more like somebody saying i have blue as my favorite color mm. seems more acceptable than somebody saying i have a favorite mathematical object mm. but it seemed like both of them should be on the same footing i, I didn't feel that there is a reason for those two to be on a different footing Yeah. but in, in terms of the external interactions it seemed like that is how it is that having a favorite <laughs> color somehow is more uh, acceptable than somebody saying i have a favorite mathematical object and mathematical object doesn't mean it should be a geometric figure mm. but you, you can have something that you like some symmetric expressions or i, I kept that to myself in these expressions mm-hmm. like i mean i kept contemplating over these things for myself mostly mm. it's only recently that I decided that okay it, it may be worthwhile just getting it out because there might be some others who enjoy it mm. and i found a few people who appreciated these connections and expressions so i was encouraged and that's when i started compiling it a little more seriously right in listening to what you just said it seems like They don't have an origin in you trying to explain certain mathematical functions to yourself. There, so these poems are not functional necessarily. More like,、um, well, they are functional in the sense that they express how you feel about certain mathematical figures, but they're not functional in the sense that they don't actually help you understand the mathematical functions, at least for yourself. There are different forms. Some of them. Is just basically when you try to internalize or learn a mathematical result,、mm-hmm. you might go through certain emotional experiences that connect the evolution of that result to some life experiences.、Mm-hmm. In some other cases, the mathematical objects can themselves、uh, feel like characters.、Uh, so、mm-hmm. in that case, sometimes it helps you understand certain results a little differently.、Right. Um, it can also be Like there are some where the poem is about the process of internalization of certain result. Like you can understand some academic content of a result,、mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily become your own understanding.、Mm-hmm. So there is some process of contemplation where the result kind of has to be internalized,、mm-hmm. and in that is individual's journey about how they internalize and what makes sense out of that result and what doesn't,、mm-hmm. and That's how my perception is. That sometimes that internalization process has quite a bit of drama in it.、Mm-hmm. Sometimes it could be out of a mistake that you made in understanding, or sometimes a mistake that you made in applying that result,、mm-hmm. or sometimes it is just something that you didn't think would come out as a corollary of that result that could put you in some state of shock,、mm-hmm. and you might think, "I didn't expect this to happen out of this result." It's a very Personal experience in terms of whether you experience a shock or whether you experience that result as something, okay, this is what the result says and move on, 
fun. There are there are some places there where emotions are involved in your learning and realization, mm. and so it can be just more refined understanding of the result, or the result can stay as a backdrop, and you are mm. in your own emotional world. So both of those are a possibility. Right. And looking at the poem, you start the poem itself with a kind of a description of the equation itself. Then you go into a philosophical discussion of it. Is that how you see it as it proceeds, or do you see it in another way? This particular poem, yes, that's how I see it. It is interesting that we pick this poem because you know I, I mentioned attempting to write the love letter for my own entertainment.、Mm-hmm. That was actually very closely related to this result. Yeah.、Okay. Um, I don't know a better word, but some of the functional forms that you can get by manipulating this series can be entertaining and interesting looking.、Mm-hmm. And in this particular poem, yes, I start with that result and just staring at the result very differently. I'm trying to think philosophically about some aspects of that equation. It's not. Necessarily、uh, consistent with the mathematical result entirely,、mm-hmm. but it's just something that can be provoked、mm-hmm. by staring at it and kind of letting yourself wander around freely instead、uh, of staring at that equation, something like that. Right, right. And the equation is, itself, as you had explained prior to our recording, is a part of the poem. It's like part and parcel of the poem. Can you tell us a little bit about the equation and and what it describes? This particular equation it starts with some simple query, something called geometric progression. Like if I decide to give you one dollar on first day, two dollars on second, and if I keep doubling the amount every day after thirty days, how many dollars will you have? We start with some query like that.、Mm-hmm. That sum is what is referred to as a geometric series. And then what this equation shows you is that if the ratio by which you are changing the increment is less than one, and if you keep adding those amounts, then you keep adding smaller and smaller and smaller amounts.、Mm. The net total, even if you keep doing it indefinitely,、mm-hmm. is still finite, and it can be found in some closed form.、Mm. Now, first time when you learn this result, that fact itself. Is exciting. It's like if an insect is decided to jump one meter, then half meter, then one fourth, and then one, it will never be able to cross two meters in the、mm. entire time. I mean, it, you can let it jump indefinitely, and it will never cross two meters. After some time, this becomes obvious in science education. But first time when you learn this, it's quite shocking actually, and you go through some thought process. If you are sensitive enough, you might stay up thinking, is it real or is it? Paper is, is something wrong here or something like that.、Mm. Then you start thinking about these results more deeply in terms of what does it mean to let it go indefinitely, so on and so forth.、Mm. That is what that equation says: that if value of x, absolute value of x, is less than one, then indefinite sum will still be a finite number and can be expressed in closed form. And so this indefinite problem that is built into that series. That results in finite answer is where the philosophical quest begins. Why is it that in certain instances I'm starting to get finite answers, and in certain limiting cases it will not be finite, and 
So some of the philosophical quest can originate when you stare at it with a naive approach and say, okay, you know, there is something happening that I didn't experience before mm. in my previous education. And then suddenly as my level of mathematics education is increasing, now I'm starting to see some strange things come in front of me. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of place where if you take enough pause and think, and if you enjoy that sense of shock, then you can engage in the philosophical quest. Um, then you can let your mind wander. That is the kind of expression in that poem. That's mm-hmm. why when I said the equation is part of the poem, it is in that sense. If you read the poem removing the equation, then some aspect of that shock is lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the the X is less than one is a very, very important caveat to remember in, in terms of how that could be the insect example that you gave. For instance, right. Example that I gave that if I give you one dollar, then two and four. If x is two, mm-hmm. then that indefinite sum will not have a finite answer. Right. It will have infinite as your answer because you keep giving more and more money. Right. If, right. if, if x is less than one, all of a sudden indefinite progression still gives you a finite answer. Mm. So those are wonderful transitions that can happen depending on where x is. Right. Right. I was like very excited when you were talking about, you know, if you give somebody a dollar and then the next time, you know, double it. And I was like, wait, that's exponential. That's awesome. And then you're talking about the X less than one, then, you know, the insect not making over two meters, <laughs> which is like heartbroken. <laughs> it is such a, such a big difference. And from that that realization that basically the difference between staying static, uh, almost static, and going to the infinite, on the other hand. I-, I wonder, is that is that why you decided to talk about the divine and the one? Yes. So now here I'm taking quite a bit of liberty in the excursion. Mm-hmm. On the right-hand side, you can think of that one as well in mathematical terms as x raised to zero. Mm. And you can see the right-hand side being x raised to 0 plus x raised to 1 plus x raised to 2. And in English and also in Marathi, the term used for the exponent is actually very interesting. We call it power in English, like right. power of x is 0, power of x is 1, power of x is 2, so on and so forth. Mm. In Marathi, it is called khatanga. And, uh, you know, if you just stare at that word, Power can have very different meaning in mathematics and in English. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it maps to something completely different when you say X has different powers on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the whole image changed for me when I started thinking like that. In mm-hmm. Marathi, the word khat actually means some kind of betrayal, you know. Mm. So when you say khat is different on right hand side it actually has a very different implication for the right hand side so it's, it is wordplay but mm-hmm. that wordplay invokes very different perception of what is being said on the right hand side so i found it quite funny when i first started think, thinking about that x raised to zero x to one as powers mm-hmm. and then the reason i talk about the divine is in that context x being less than one we talk about the divine and liberation and nirvana in terms of being one with everything Mm-hmm. So the symbolism of one 
is actually quite broad when you think about metaphorical implications, right? Mm. And we think about oneness as mm-hmm. representing divine feeling. And so the whole notion that when X is less than one, mm-hmm. on the right hand side, the summing of different powers, and on the left hand side, the powers are absent. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a very philosophically appealing situation to me, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the wordplay. So I just let myself wander on that wordplay a little more. Mm-hmm. That's where I started making the parallels appear in the poem with oneness connecting to the divine mm-hmm. and one side having absent powers and on the other side having all the powers. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you know we strive to have more and more powers as we grow. And yes, we think about higher powers as growth. Mm-hmm. But in reality, when X is less than one, uh, higher powers actually reduce the effective value. So half is always greater than one fourth, then <laughs> one eighth. And so as you increase the powers, you're actually becoming smaller. Mm. And that seemed like a very interesting parallel to say, my notion is that if I gain more powers, somehow I'm becoming bigger. Mm. But if I'm not a divine entity, and if I am so restricted in my view of who I am, all my desire to attain more power might actually be making smaller than who I really am. Mm. Um, so that whole notion of becoming smaller with more powers seemed very dramatic to me the moment I let think about the word power in terms of the English interpretation of power rather than mathematical interpretation of power. Right, right. Yeah. And another thing that strikes to me in Marathi, there is a way to describe a fraction in Marathi on the left, that 1 over 1 minus x. In English, it is numerator and denominator. Mm-hmm. But the words in Marathi for the fraction are, for numerator, they call it ansha, mm-hmm. and for denominator, they call it che. Ansha can also mean part of something. Mm-hmm. And ched can mean cutting through something. Mm-hmm. And that also has kind of philosophical implications the moment you think in terms of the second meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. And if you say that ansha, or the numerator being one, it kind of philosophically could imply, like provided you are riding with me on the poetic license that I'm taking, mm-hmm. the ansha being one could imply that all of us have the part of that one mm-hmm. and we are cutting through by separating ourselves from one. Mm. And that's what the left-hand term could mean if you let yourself wander on that path. Mm. So that contrast is quite dramatic in that equation. Yeah, it's amazing how the two poems can be completely different from one language to the other just because of how the poem kind of manifested itself. Right. Yeah. So then... Is the Marathi version of the poem, does it go on a, a slightly different or actually pretty large tangent than the English one? Because the Marathi one, it sounds like it's much more about unification, about coming together, whereas the English one is more about the idea of power and what power means. So. Do they exhibit these two differences between the two versions? That's a very good question. Uh, They don't exhibit two different paths. Mm. Uh, Both of them are in the same spirit. So Mm. the spirit and the implication is the same. The 
the nuances are different. So what I personally found is, so first of all, as I said, uh, English is not my first language. Mm. And whenever I wrote uh, even these mathematical poems in Marathi, I always found that the intensity of the expression was much higher. Mm. And it took me a while to kind of connect to the feeling and the intensity to get the English expression in the same spirit. Mm. Admittedly, in this particular instance, the English version is a little less intense than Marathi, but the spirit of the poem and the implications are the same. Mm. Okay. When did you write this particular poem? This particular one, I think sometime around 2008 or 10. Oh. I don't exactly remember when I wrote this, but sometime around 2008 or 10. Oh. Um, what happened is I actually landed up looking at this series when I was doing something else in my work mm. and I remembered what I felt and the attempt to write the love letter and all that mm -hmm. and I focused my attention again on this and wrote the poem at that time. Mm. Um, it just started coming back and I wasn't ready to give it up again as some teenage stupidity so <laughs> this time I was had gone through my education and I was trying to become an instructor. Mm -hmm. uh, I had the opportunity to teach some things, not mathematics at that particular time, but mm -hmm. I landed looking at this and then I said, I'm not going to take it again lightly, started writing. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. As you said, this is part of a series. Do you remember how you came to write this particular poem? Was it a conscious choice to write this poem? By that, I mean, did you have a bunch of equations in mind and decided to write a poem for each equation? Or was it something that, that you know, you just sort of one day was working on this equation and you decided you kind of had an emotional reaction to it? That's a good question. I didn't have a set of equations about which I was going to write poems, actually. Mm. In terms of the emotional reactions, admittedly, all through my mathematics education, I've had emotional reactions to mathematical objects mm -hmm. in either a joking fashion or in some serious discussions. I have expressed these to some of my close friends who are also interested in mathematics. Sometimes when I'm trying to explain some of these things to students in one-on-one, -on -one, they have conveyed to me that my excitement comes through. Mm. Uh, it's just that some of the these mathematical objects that have been floating around in my emotional space, I started paying attention again more mm -hmm. seriously mm -hmm. and I just wrote it down. So the other poems, for example, they're not necessarily about equations. Mm -hmm. Some of them are about just objects. Some of them are about concepts in mathematics. Some of them are about theorems. Mm. Uh, some of them are just about some aspects of a theory something like that. Mm -hmm. It depends on what aspect I connect to. I feel like there's enough intensity in that connection. I, I just write it down. It's mm. wonderful. Thank you. I read a lot of science and I, sometimes I do read maths, but you know, nothing to your level. And sometimes I do write poems in reaction to them, but most of the time is more just because I consume a lot of science news, some of the information come out. But I chose my poem that I'm going to read now. It's called Boundless because 
as the poem expresses in the beginning, I literally was looking to find how the two elements of water and fire can live in harmony with each other. So I went out looking for that possibility in nature. So I'm going to read that now. Sure. Boundless. I asked myself to find fire living within water and encountered continents forming in amber aglow, stretching as if arms to lay possession of space and liquid with or without title. The unabashed conquistador without compunction is this heart boundless, willing to live in a clash of elements to synchronize our twain rhythms into one. Yeah, this is... This was quite interesting for me to read and think about. I do have some questions because you know, some of it I could connect to and some of it I am curious to know whether what I felt after reading this overlaps with how you thought uh, through. Sure. Actually, first let me tell you what my impression was of this poem just as is when I saw it and read it. First of all, I was immediately captured by your quest to find water and fire living together. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a very catchy statement because right from the outset, you are set to look for confluence of contradicting entities. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was very appealing. It was kind of, it woke me up, sort of. Like, okay, it's not being surprised by confluence of contradicting entities. Mm-hmm. It is more of a direct quest to see and mm-hmm. find contradicting entities, and that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. What I would like to know is, was there some event uh, that provoked uh, that quest, or the idea to look for that, where did that come from? The thing is, I have had a crush on someone, and I realized that our elements, in looking at something like astrological charts, that our elements are fire and water. So in having that sort of reading, usually those elements do not tend to naturally get along. That's not what you think of when you think of uh, compatibility. But you know, I do remember things like in putting out fire, for instance, water does not necessarily put out fire. It's very difficult sometimes depending on the nature of the fire, to use water to simply put it out. You actually need something else. Like earth, for instance, might put out fire better than water. Because I'm interested in this idea of compatibility and also partnership and equality and equity in relationships. So I was wondering if there are examples of these two seemingly opposing elements can live in harmony with each other. I see. My impression when I read this was probably it was inspired when you saw amber or something as a material. So I was curious whether you were somehow landed thinking differently about amber and then it occurred to you to have this confluence reconciled or, or something like that. But it seems like you set out based on your emotional state examine the coming together of these opposing features. Very, very interesting. Yeah, and that's 
So, yeah, sorry to interrupt. That's exactly why I chose my poem to read with yours because it is coming from the emotional to the the logical, which is kind of the opposite of yours. Where it's even though both of ours have a lot of emotional elements to it, it's sort of coming from the logical to the emotional. It's almost as if it's going in the opposite direction. But somewhere we meet in the middle in the form of a poem of a verse. Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I thought too when you told me that you're going from your emotional state to look for this confluence and then you're looking for the material that represents it. Mm. It's going from emotions to the logical and real object. Mm. Very interesting. And yes, I agree. Those two flow in the opposite direction and meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and it's very interesting. One other thing. So let me ask you about this uh, stretching as if arms to lay position, that by itself, it, it seemed to me, so I, I'm going to tell you from the perspective that I thought that maybe Amber inspired this thought process and examination. It feels like there's a lot of contemplation here where you're seeing this contradicting features as they are rather than something being right or wrong and it seems to be present everywhere kind of feeling. Is that what that represented to play position of space and liquid and stretching as if arms? Like there is a material feature of the amber associated with stretching, but there is another aspect of being everywhere for that contradiction and what we perceive as contradiction being there everywhere. Is that how this came about or there is some different background because I set out to look for this basically because I wanted it to be a realistic uh, something realistic I, I wanted my emotions not to be entirely based on fantasy basically so I was looking for these two elements of supposedly opposing elements that live in peace together thriving together and what I found was actually underwater volcanoes and what I saw when I was searching this information, I've seen lava flow underwater before. I've seen it, you know, if you watch nature programs, you will you will see something like that, especially when you're looking at it in, in relations to oceanography. And what it looked like in a photo that I actually have on Instagram uh, with an excerpt of this poem is what looks like a beautiful piece of amber that bubbles up from the deep. And it's gorgeous, right? But some, sometimes you don't think of how dangerous things that look beautiful is. Just like the fires in California now, when you look at those pictures and when you are divorcing that picture from the knowledge that this is incredibly dangerous, it's posing real danger, it's literally killing people and, and, and other animals and uh, plant species, you know, changing the ecology, forming its own storm systems, all, all of these horrible things that are happening. If you just use your visual element, divorcing it from the other aspects of your knowledge, you can think how beautiful it is. And one of the things I enjoy doing in writing is to also associate words that might have a negative connotation with some of their other meanings that could be positive. In this instance, I don't know that it's meant to do that, especially 
because I used the word conquistador, which obviously using it in, in a colonialist context is just terrible because knowing what they have done in Latin America, you know, especially the term conquistador. But, um, you know, in terms of love, sometimes, you know, when you are in love or lusting after someone, for instance, your heart doesn't care. It has no morals. It's very much this overwhelming feeling, this feeling of being driven by something that's much more elemental and just having absolutely divorced from any sense of morality that you might have in your mind. Yeah, that's very nicely put. Um, I didn't think along those lines, but now when you describe it, comes across as very different expression than when I first read it. Very nice. There is one line that stood out for me, and I, honestly speaking, didn't quite connect it in the flow of the poem, as in I'm still not able to connect to that sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, that with or without title didn't represent something in that flow of the poem. So I'm actually curious about what that represents. So that's linked to the the conquistador again going back to the idea of colonialism colonialist history in general from the past to the present those who were dominant forces they tended to use both legal and illegal means to gain land to to gain possession and so again it reinforces the idea of what i say after the conquistador line by saying without compunction, basically using any kind of uh, methods possible. So with or without title, when I say title, I mean legal title. I see. I see. So uh, for me, the unabashed conquistador expressed uh, sort of the reckless conquering already. So I, I somehow thought that with or without title has an additional layer to that uh, reckless conquering of uh, land or uh, whatever other positions you're after. One thing that I would also want to know more about this poem is what I would call the opening of the poem and closing of the poem. They do have a, a direct connection for me. Mm. In other words, the middle part of the poem can also seem like some background to build the emphasis of the last part, but I read it a few times and then I realized that emotionally I could directly go from the beginning of the poem to the boundlessness of the heart and clash of elements directly after reading it a few times, actually. Mm. Just wanted to know your thoughts on the role of the middle part of the poem with respect to what I just said. In the, in the sense, if you think about going out in the quest of this conflicting entities in confluence, because you're directly asking yourself to search for fire living within water. And then if you're finding the amber as a representation of that confluence, then I can directly jump to the sentiment or emotions associated with the boundlessness of the heart that is willing to live in clash of elements. And reconciliation being the attempt to synchronize or accept the conflict as is 
when I think of the jump from the beginning to the end, it starts to seem like the middle part of the portion is additional background that enhances the connection. But that may not be how it appeared to you. So I'm just curious about what you have to say about that. I like your interpretation. And I think when I write, I'm not necessarily thinking about, I do, when I edit, I think about the logic of the flow, whether or not something makes sense. And that's when I decide to add something or take out something. But when when I'm writing, and especially in this piece, I don't think I did much editing. What I just do is just go along and let let my emotions come out as words. So I think I didn't really think too much about how certain things, I mean, it, it definitely, I think it, it definitely has, fits with what you said about this idea of almost of justification or really what I'm trying to do at whatever method I want to use. I just want to get what I want to get. Yes. <laughs> I understand that. I guess what I was expressing is it seemed like in the flow of the poem, there's a quest and there is a reconciliation that directly addresses what you're looking for. The rest of it is about how you got to the reconciliation rather than details of the reconciliation. You know what I mean? It's like the appeal or the contrast becomes very intense for me when I revisit and I just focus on the quest and then the boundlessness of heart willing to accept the contradiction as is as your reconciliation. Mm. It, it becomes a stark contrast about how and then I'm more interested in how when I, I have experienced the contrast. That's how I felt about reading this poem. Just, wanted, just sharing that with you and wanted to know your thoughts on that. It seems like in writing the poem, you you are flowing through and coming back with reconciliation. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in some way it is, right? Because there are so few examples of this idea of living in harmony, this living in this balance, because there are so few examples of it. I would say this poem is more about the heart than the mind, and I have some poems where I'm both mind and heart. And they kind of, there's a duality to it, and they kind of fight with each other a little bit, a lot sometimes, <laughs> about what should be considered right. And this is more of, I, I don't know, it's a reconciliation. I mean, when I think of, when you say reconciliation, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of settling, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be settling. Because obviously, finding uh, underwater volcanoes, meaning, you know, these two elements can thrive with each other. The water is able to cool off the lava to the extent that it starts to form new land. I mean, that's kind of exciting, the the combination of the two actually forming something new, right? Yes, So absolutely. Yes, so I, I don't know there's that reconciliation in in the sense that I'm thinking of the settling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. What I meant by reconciliation is in this particular quest of fire and water, there are representations of these sort of entities with conflicting features coming together 
mm-hmm. but there will be instances where there are conflicts that don't come together or or they don't really flow together but they exist simultaneously mm. and in some cases they can actually exist and come together mm-hmm. and rather than having that internal fight about whether they should or should not come together or whether they can and cannot come together they can coexist sometimes they can come together and sometimes they can't is something of a reality that you eventually have have to accept that's the kind of reconciliation i'm talking about uh-huh. in one quest you have them coming together in another quest they may not mm-hmm. and then you kind of accept the contradiction as is without passing a judgment kind of thing so that's the, the last line in your poem to synchronize our twin rhythms into one it seemed like yes there is a merging of the two but when you are willing to live in clash of elements that seems like accepting the reality as is even if they didn't come together yeah i wonder if i did though <laughs> maybe in that momentary line i did <laughs> because it still doesn't feel like i have in the reality of my life so <laughs> but thank you for pointing that out that is very interesting yeah definitely because i i think again as i said before because the idea of fire and water living together in har- harmony is not something that readily comes to mind as an idea i think most people when you think you know fire and water you think of clash of elements and i think at the end of the day even though i do find this instance of these two elements living together in harmony and even forming new possibilities working together that in the back of my mind there is still a clash of elements ultimately uh, for the most part i think that's probably my logical conclusion that i didn't really realize that i had <laughs> until you pointed out thank you <laughs> Yeah. It's very impressive if you if you let yourself flow in this poem. Of course each one is going to have a different reaction. That's why I wanted to share that I felt coming back and experiencing the constant reconciliation. So that's why I shared that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Because this is one of the things that I really enjoy about having these conversations because sometimes in having the conversation even us as poets when we look at our own work we sometimes realize just having these conversations help us to realize some of the things that we didn't even know we were writing about yeah that's interesting <laughs> i agree yeah thank you i i really appreciate that i really appreciate you thinking of questions for me uh, and i really enjoy reading my poem in conjunction with your poem and discussing them together and seeing how both of us starting at some point a journey whether or not i mean both of us actually start it even though it seems like we're coming from opposite directions because one is talk about mathematics which people always associate with pure logic yeah. but listening to your experience it seems like what you associate with math is not just pure logic but also emotions sometimes very strong emotions strong enough to provoke you into writing verse so it's really great to know that that's an experience that one can have in reaction to 
mathematics because I don't think I think a lot of people don't have that reaction uh, to math and and that's probably why you had as as a teenager hit the uh, feeling because they're not as readily understandable to people right I, I would actually say that that's what I did as a teenager and that's the impression that we carry in classroom mathematics mm-hmm but what I have started noticing is that people do have these reactions in private, mm. in their own learning of mathematics, sometimes dominated, for example, by fear of mm. a difficult problem, sometimes just frustration of not being able to solve something. But sometimes they do enjoy, like, just the geometric symmetry or some things. But these are not the things that we talk about as much. But there are these pieces of experiences with people in scientific disciplines. And I started noticing recently when I shared these poems, recently I got some responses from even one of the renowned scientists. Mm. And they could connect to the emotional space that exists in experiencing and learning mathematics. Mm -hmm. Um, This was recently by one of the scientists. His name is Padmavibhushan Mashalkar. He's one of the renowned scientists. And I had... Fortunately, had the opportunity to share some things with him. Mm-hmm. And he also could connect to the existence of the space between logic and learning and experiencing mathematics. Mm-hmm. And I find that there may be more people who do experience these things and emotional reactions in private. But this is not something you talk about when you talk about mathematics. Most of it is about leaving the emotions aside and <laughs> focusing on the logic. And we are trained to think about mathematics like that in terms of love or hate or frustration or success or failure, and leaving aside the other emotions. Right. But emotional reactions do exist. I I believe they exist in all learning. Mm -hmm. Um, In some aspects, we are trained to pay attention to those emotional reactions. And when it comes to science and mathematics, the conventional classroom training demands that we don't pay attention. But that doesn't mean that the reaction doesn't happen. It just happens during maybe homework or exam studies or in private. But it does happen, is my belief. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it does happen. In my case, I just got it out now. Mm. Well, I'm I'm glad you did because it's it's a wonderful poem and I think it, it has a lot of philosophical implications. And I mean, like philosophy and math are very much connected, right? Because a lot of philosophers are well-versed in math and they use math to express uh, philosophy and using equations. It's a pretty ancient friendship between the two disciplines. So I'm I'm glad you are talking about it and you will have the poems published and I think it will help people to, especially in this country because of our limited abilities to pay attention to things uh, really we, we we want to divide things cleanly but in in actuality things don't divide cleanly so it's it's nice to tease that out so thank you uh, yeah. again for that thank you for having me here and having this discussion because one of the observations that keeps coming back to me um, is you know there is a notion with which mathematics is taught at least that's how I saw it as I grew up and at least in some of the classrooms even 
here, there, there are two extremes. Either people teach mathematics as if it is something to be revered and they try to market that as something fun, uh, whereas the experiential part of it is frustration, not being able to succeed. Then mm -hmm. there is a black and white aspect to it of success and failure and all that. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of all that, what happens is there is an insistence on removing emotions and learning logic. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't have to be like that. I know that having emotions invoked in a classroom setting can hamper learning. That, <laughs> that is a fact. Mm -hmm. But it is also not right to train to ignore emotional reactions when you are teaching logic. Mm -hmm. It just has to be channelized and maybe cherished in some different way. Not necessarily if a student is failing to understand or failing to solve a problem, you pamper them by saying, no, no, everything is all right. You should rather be open to the idea of going through the experience of failure and going through the experience of wonder, mm. going through the experience of hating certain difficulty levels. It's all part of experiential learning. It's a shared human experience that we need to have and accept as is and move through it. Mm. I think that would be a better learning environment than removing half of it and just focusing on one aspect trying to sharpen only one facet. Right. That's how I see it. Right. Yeah. I think it's definitely important for us to, you know, when we're teaching, because you know, teaching, no matter what, what topics we end up teaching, whether something is considered esoteric or not, it's you can't again remove it from the act of living. So it, it might help people more to be able to realize how much part of living it is. So just to conclude, I wonder if you have uh, any recommendations in terms of uh, open mics that you go to and also how people can follow you on you know, social media or if you have a website. Yeah, so admittedly, I didn't take public presentations as seriously. My first open mic was actually San Jose Poetry Festival. Ah, okay. Um, I am not as active on social media right now, mm -hmm. but... My book will be coming out uh, within a month's time um, on the mathematical poems. Great. And I do uh, want to increase my presence in social media in some form uh, so that I'm more reachable. Mm -hmm. And hopefully through the book, uh, there'll be more exposure to this genre, I would say, of mathematical poems, not just wordplay on the formulas, but more uh, significant aspect of mathematical learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so... I think the first point of engagement would be the book that will be coming out in a month on mathematical poems. And then from there, I will engage more on social media. That's the plan. Great, great. So how can people reach you now or follow you? So <laughs> right now, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. It's searchable by Kedar Hardikar. Okay. And when I establish myself on social media, either on Facebook or uh, Instagram, um, I can engage more. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this session. Great. I'm glad to hear that. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. 
In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can now listen to the Poets and Muses podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.